Hello and welcome to Awful Commentary, the podcast where we talk about father and son issues in popular culture. Today, oh my goodness, this is the one, David, this is the one that I have been waiting for for months. But before we get into that, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Tom. I don't care, Dave. We're talking about the Mandalorian and that takes no no. Okay. Okay, calm down. Do you just it doesn't matter what your name is, me. <laughs> yeah, I would never. I would never. Okay. Okay. Fine. How are you doing, Dave? Really? I mean this genuinely from my heart now. I'm not going to interrupt you again. I can trust you, can I? I promise. Okay. I'm well, thank you, Dom. How are you? I was burning to interrupt you then, but I didn't do it. I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode. It's been it's been a long time coming. Um, we had to build up. We had to wait for the season finale, but it's here. The season finale was the 18th of December. Today is the 19th, 19th of December. I woke up and got out of bed with a hangover to get downstairs to the TV before anyone else woke up so no one would come down and go, I want to watch this morning. With, uh, I don't know who does this morning. Oh, Philip <laughs> Schofield and Holly Willoughby. And I'm like, you better get the fuck out of here. Because, you know, I love Holly Willoughby as much as the next person with a reasonable mind. But this is about the Mandalorian, so get out. That was qu- quite vitriolic. And I'm not sure if this morning is on at the weekend, but that's, I'm sure that's beside the point. Holly Willoughby will be there whenever. <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to get into this. This is not the Holly Willoughby podcast that I've always dreamed of starting. <laughs> where we just every episode talk about how she's just lovely, isn't she? She's gone from like sex symbol to just lovely all round. Like seems like just a really nice. This isn't the Holly Willoughby podcast, Dave. You stop it. You're getting very easily derailed for someone who was so excited about this particular subject. Well, my excitement carried me away to a galaxy... A galaxy far away. So nice segue. Thank you very much. We teased the Mandalorian a little bit last week um, with our fantastic rendition uh, of the opening theme song. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we should we should lay it out. Obviously, the the finale was just uh, was just yesterday. So heads up, if you're listening to this when it comes out, spoilers. Like, go and watch the end of the Mandalorian before you listen, because we're not gonna hold back. No, I'm not going to hold back. No, no. This is a no-holes-barred episode about The Mandalorian. Spoiler Um, Spoiler alert. Spoiler laden. Spoiler filled. Spoiler stacked. (laughs) So I thought that today we would break this episode down into uh, an extra segment. That we normally we just uh, we talk about the talk about the topic and then we do a bit at the end where we say uh, how does this relate to you and your father and stuff like that, but we're going to be talking about the first season of the Mandalorian and the second season of the Mandalorian and so we're probably going to be jumping around a bit, um, but as it's the season finale and maybe some people have just clicked on this because they're you know they want to listen to some shit about the Mandalorian. Um, I thought we could have a segment up top where we just nerd out and geek out. And then for like two minutes where we're just like, we just need to get it out of our system because we're excited, one of us more than the other. And we just, we, we get it out and then we dive into the Mandalorian and do the father and son relationship stuff that, that we usually do. And then we'll end with our traditional 
uh, you know, how does this relate to you and, and your father's stuff? So, again, with the no holds barred. Spoilers upcoming. Spoiler, spoilers upcoming. Geek out. Just get your geek out. Oh my god. Boba Fett. Oh, Luke Skywalker. Oh, oh. gosh. Ahsoka. Oh. I mean... Mentioning I, when... Grand Admiral Thrawn. That was... That was well, a, I, thought, uh... I thought that would excite you more than, than I, I knew it would excite me. Yeah. But when um, Tamara Morrison appeared at the end of the first episode of season two, I did a, a little a little wee, I think. And Were you, were you sure. aiming or was it in your pants? It was no, of course it's in my pants. Oh, but oh, oh, not a full God. evacuation, just a little bead that, okay. that just came to the surface of my trouser. Yeah. Yeah, this is crass, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. Um that yeah, that, that moment really gave me made me giddy. And then I wasn't sure if they were gonna pay it off and then a f- few episodes later when Slave One appeared, I was like, Is that is that slave is that slave one? That's slave one, isn't it? That is that's I'm like tapping my girlfriend on the arm. I think that's slave one. <laughs> I think that's yes. slave one. Um, and it was. And it was. Although I think due to the times, they don't really you mention the name of his ship <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's. I don't pre- think they. I don't think they ever mentioned it in the the movie anyway. In oh, Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. No. There's so there's so much about Star Wars that's only known because of toys. And yes. like merchandising, and like yeah. Lobot is another good example. Uh, Landel Carizian's guy with the robot head. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, the only reason I know he's called Lobot is because they had to make an action figure of him. So, you know, they, yeah, they gave him exactly. a name, and then like so much of Star Wars is like is Salacious Crumb and yeah, Nia yeah, Numb, yeah. and all these ra- really weird side characters they had to give names to for the toys. Yeah. Yes. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's worth getting the the fanboy geeking out nerd stuff up front because the show isn't perfect, and so much of of this uh, this series does end up falling into the the fanboy hole of um, why was this there? Oh, it was there because we would get excited about it. And that's something that, as I've spoken about before, especially in terms of Indiana Jones, if you go back to our Indiana Jones episode, um, that's something that I uh, am almost entirely against within movies and TV and, and storytelling these days. Is the, we had to um, release that as a separate episode because you were ranted for so long about it. <laughs> yes, yes. So I don't need to do the same rant again now. There's a rant where I say how, uh, how fanboy culture has essentially ruined cinema. For a, for a bit. Um, and so it's good to kind of get that excitement out up front because I think if we, we take... as We'll get back to this at the end of the conversation as well, inevitably. But if we take um, the appearance of Luke Skywalker in the, the series finale as, oh our, like, as like our most fanboy moment, right? Yeah. Where they... I, I was super excited to see Luke Skywalker, of course, because it's Luke Skywalker... You know. At what point in that sequence did you realize, or did you expect it to be Luke Skywalker? When the X-wing turned up. As soon as it went past the window, you were like, "That's Luke Skywalker." Yes, because the only times we've seen an X-wing is with the two older pilots, one of who was Dave Filoni, the creator of the show. Yeah, it was. So I, I expected 
either th those two X-Wings to come in together, because they always fight together, they, ne they never came in solo. But the minute that it was a solo X-Wing, and, and I was watching it with my brother, and Harvey went, oh my god, it's going to be Ahsoka. And I said, like, well, Ahsoka doesn't have an X-Wing. And there's only one person I know of who has an X-Wing. It wouldn't make gonna... sense for it to be Ahsoka there, because we've already seen her, and he, she's already sent them away. So why would then she... Well, and this... We, you know... This is this is I think part of the problem with the structure of of the the second series more than the first, is that they've throughout the whole first season, the the arc of the show is entirely dependent on the actions of the Mandalorian himself, right? And we I know he's got a name like Din Djarin or whatever, but throughout the episode we're going to call him the Mandalorian and we're going to call him Pedro Pascal and Pedro that's going to be it. or Mando. That's the only yeah, way to yeah, yeah, call yeah. him. Yeah, so we're not going to call him Din Djarin or anything like that. Um, but it's all about his actions as the protagonist, right? And the, our protagonist pushes the story forward. But when we get into the second season, it's much more... Um, now, so many of the episodes are, here's Ahsoka from the animated show. Here's Boba Fett. Here's Luke Skywalker. That's like three episodes out of an eight-episode season, Right? Yeah. Or of like, here's this stuff that you loved from before. There's a whole episode dedicated to it. And that is a flaw for me within the season that takes away from the integrity of the show. Because I'm not watching the show for Ahsoka to turn up. When Ahsoka does turn up, I'm like, that's great. I love Ahsoka. I love Clone Wars. I love Rebels. Like when Ahsoka turns up, I'm like, awesome. But... Is she necessary for the show to function? No. Does she contribute to the show? Yes, she does in that episode. But then when Luke Skywalker turns up at the end of the series, it's like, why even bother having Ahsoka in that moment at all? Yeah. You know? And it, it doesn't... The, the arrival of Luke Skywalker negates the... Uh, the added element of having Ahsoka in there for providing that wisdom and that guidance and that, like, or if all she was going to do was push him to Luke Skywalker, like, uh, I'm sure they could have just set up, like, they know the same people. They could have just set up a hollow call and be like, hey, Luke, BT Dubs, I've got a baby Yoda here. <laughs> like, do you want him? You know, like, um, yeah. And there's a lot of contrivance for the sake of the audience that this series is willing to make that the first season doesn't. The first season is like super focused on, it on is, The yeah. Mandalorian. Yeah. There is this actual real strange split that I didn't realise until you mentioned it between second, the first and second season where all the characters in the first season are original. Yeah. And you don't see, we don't have any of those callbacks to characters that we would recognise in the first season. It's only it's the second season and the very first episode where they even, they tease you with the Marshall guy wearing Boba Fett's armor. And then mm -hmm. you kind of see Tamara Morrison at the end, which again, you're not going to recognize unless you know who Tamara Morrison is. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely went in a different direction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, a lot of that, I don't like, um, I'm not, I'm not so much of a fan of that. Again, like I, I geeked out seeing Luke Skywalker and I geeked out seeing Ahsoka and, and all of that stuff was great, but did it take away from the Mandalorian himself yeah, I think in in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases it did, and even yeah, like, it takes even lots like of agency the... away. From, maybe this is what you were getting at, but the whole first season was about him and how cool he was and yes. the decisions he made and the conflicts he has. And you're yes. right, the second season is kind of like him, um, 
just stepping between all these different instances where he's not the 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 excitement anymore. He's not the as, focus of he's not yeah, the focus, of, yeah, of the as episode, if the yeah. audience would be bored of him already after one season instead of yeah. you know. I know this may be I don't know how long this is going to go on for but and, and this is obviously a bigger show in terms of scale than almost any other TV show that's come before it. So you can't really expect to go, well, it's going to be six seasons, so maybe it'll be him for three, and then we need to shake it up by getting in some extra char- and more exciting mm-hmm. characters. This could end up being the end of The Mandalorian. Yeah. I, think it's going to, I don't know if there's going to be a third season or not. but I would be very happy if this was the end. But, we'll, but let's, let's get into that when we, we, we get into the, the, the overall arc. You're just, okay. looking through the, yeah, just looking through the episodes. Episode one, we get Timothy Oliphant who is awesome as this new this new character yeah but again the focus is he has boba fett's armor and we know it's boba fett right i'm willing to forgive that because if tamara morrison didn't appear later and that was our tease of like boba fett for this season for example i'd be like cool right like like that's 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 awesome um then episode two is the uh, the brilliant episode with the frog lady yeah. and the ice planet, which is an uh, amazing episode. I thought that was really, like, one of the highlights of the season. Um, the, uh, episode three of, of the second season has Bo-Katan, who yeah. is... Um, Bo-Katan is from, uh, from Clone Wars and Rebels, so they're reintroducing... Oh, um, I didn't reintrodu- know that. Yeah. Well, that's why you need to go watch Clone Wars and Rebels. They're great. No, I don't. I've got you as a friend, so I don't have to do any of these things. (laughs) You can just tell me. This is true. But they are are both great series. Um, So, but then we're introducing, you know, this... um, um, uh, This reintroducing this previously established character. Um, Then the next one, they just go off for kind of no reason... And do they a just, side a side yeah, mission. Yeah, side mission. Yeah, they, yeah. they just yeah because they have to kill some time while the ship gets repaired. And it's like, well, what can yeah. we do while we're here? Oh, let's bump let's bump into Gina Carano yeah. and Carl Weathers again and go on a little yeah, yeah side quest just to yeah. kill some time. And then once that's over, we can carry on with the story. Yeah, exactly. Again, fine, but it feels like a side quest. Um, then we get uh, a Sokotano episode. Then we get Boba Fett himself is back. Um, then we get the, the Bill Burr episode again. That one was, was, was pretty solid. Um, and then the final one we have, uh, everyone's there. We're all here. The you know, Jabba's palace is here. Luke Skywalker is here, you know? And yeah, there's a lot of, I think where this show is, is just throwing shit at the audience. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I lose, I lose some respect for the show from that. It doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. But um, yeah, it loses its its integrity to hold itself up because the whole point was supposed to be you know this is the, a guy who exists just in the universe and goes around doing this you know doing his grimy underworld thing and then suddenly so much responsibility is heaped onto him that he doesn't know how to handle it. But it was supposed to continue into this you know explore the universe, um, and then within sixteen episodes, Luke Skywalker's there. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it didn't. It didn't really take them that long to introduce one of the main antagonists from the Empire Strikes Back in Boba Fett. Like he was in there by episode nine, and then Luke Skywalker is there by episode sixteen. You know, it's like they weren't. Uh, you could just imagine the the people at Disney just like holding their trousers, like, come <laughs> on, come on. You know, when are you gonna let us? 
Spooge. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that before we before we get into into the show itself? Um, only that I don't mind. I didn't mind it. Uh, that what you're saying about yeah, just throwing all of this Star Wars crap at the audience, going recognize this, recognize this. Don't you do you remember how much you love this? Now we've got it. That kind of thing can be really tiresome if it's handled poorly. But in the Mandalorian, I don't feel like it's handled poorly. I think it's handled quite well and the only time the only time where it felt a little bit cheap and almost unnecessary was to me was with luke skywalker yeah when he came i, I was happy to see him and it, it it did it gave a bit of service to him and his legacy in the same way that um rogue one gave a bit of weight to, to the legacy of darth vader because with darth vader we we're just we're told how badass and amazing he is and unless you've gone back and played to the, some of the games or read some of the books mm. or the comic series that you introduced me to you don't really have much of a visual um, uh, visual representation of that in the films that have happened. So that one sequence in Rogue One, which is which, it, it that sequence in Rogue One did for me what the first few MCU movies did for me, which was made me so excited that I couldn't sit still and mm-hmm. I was just giddy like a child, like seeing my childhood dreams and fantasies come to fruition on, on screen. And over the MCU, that faded because you know that it was new once, and then it just you know you just getting more of the same, which and I enjoy them all anyway. But with with Darth Vader, it was like here's a I like an antihero, I like a villain. So getting to see Darth Vader cut loose and fuck dudes up in a terrifying, mm-hmm. visceral way, I thought was great service to his character and his legacy. So and in this instance, we it was nice to see why luke skywalker became so revered in the galaxy following return of the jedi where he's still kind of at the beginning of his journey um if we're just talking about the movies and then he's picked up again in the new trilogy and people are like holy shit it's luke skywalker you're kind of like well why mm-hmm. what's he done that which made him so revered and we get bits and pieces of it in flashback and stuff in the new trilogy but it was nice to see him yeah be an awesome jedi yeah yeah. And be completely in control and you can say what you want I suppose about the um <laughs> the CGI. Mm-hmm. It was a I find with these new like full face CGI things if you look at their mouths you'll ruin it for yourself. You've got to look them in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Just look them in the eyes and let your peripheral vision pick up the way their mouths move and you'll enjoy it more. <laughs> That's my advice to anyone. If you're going to see, you know, the Princess Leia and um Grandma's talking. Gram- oh, no, Grandma Tarkin, I thought was one of the best examples I can think of in a long time. Wow. That did okay. not bother me at all. Wow. Um, if you're going to watch Justice League, don't look at Henry Cavill's <laughs> mouth. Or just yeah. don't watch Justice League. Or just fast forward to all the, the good bits. Anytime Wonder Woman's there on her own, or Jason Momoa, watch those bits, and then you can just ignore the rest. It's fine. Um, but when... So yeah, Luke Skywalker was felt a little bit cheap, but I still enjoyed it as a fan. I was kind of glad he was there, even if it didn't make me giddy, didn't make me excited, like when Boba Fett did. And incorporating Boba Fett for me was a bit like um, those two last these two examples where it was. I felt it served his legacy because it's been talked about in for for decades now. Like why is Boba Fett so badass when all we ever see him do in the movies is kind of look a bit badass, say a couple of badass lines and then get eaten by the Sarlacc. And things like um, Robot Chicken do a great job of like <laughs> trying to take the mick out of that whole legacy. Um, 
uh, and it, uh, so it's really it, yeah again it was just cool to see him there and do badass things and be badass and be like yeah of course of course Boba Fett could take out all these guys and of course he would do all this and that because we expect that from him even if we've never seen it before so I really enjoyed that and getting Tamara Morrison back yeah oh I love him so much yeah I think this this is a great place for us to kind of get into uh, into the conversation about the, the Mandalorian and, and the father and son stuff itself because one of the things I really love about this series and one of the reasons I think this is probably the best piece of Star Wars content since The Empire Strikes Back. I don't think there's been many star better bits of Star Wars storytelling of a higher quality than The Mandalorian since since Empire Strikes Back. Um, is the way that it fully integrates the universe of Star Wars because one of the problems with when you look at um, let's say you uh, you decide to watch episodes uh, four five and six and then one two and three right in release order you you watch the old movies and you have this weathered lived in universe then you go back to the prequel movies and it's all shiny and bright and reflective surfaces and computer-generated characters and all of, like, the use of models has been replaced with Jar Jar Binks, you know, like this CGI, um, you know, even Yoda has been replaced in as a computer character. And it becomes very difficult within your mind to integrate those two worlds together, right? Like, A New Hope does not sit in the same setting as Super Battle Droids and uh, Gungans with giant flappy ears, right? Like, the, the worlds don't meld well together in, like, in visually or spiritually, I think. They really try at the end of Revenge of the Sith to be like, and now you see, you see, this is the same, and, you know, it's going into A New Hope now, but they really fucking try, and it doesn't work for me. Whereas, the yeah, The Mandalorian does a fucking perfect job of that. There are constant um, bits of prequels and the uh, the original movies like thrown together. They look good together. Um, it feels like the original Star Wars movies a hundred times more than the J.J. Abrams films do. The J.J. Abrams films are trying to be like, see, this is Star Wars again. But it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It might feel like the world of Star Wars, but it doesn't have that um the heart i think that the original movies do and i think the mandalorian does a great job of feeling like you are in the galaxy and then being like hey you're on tatooine so you know that stuff from luke skywalker well now here's some pit droids right yeah these old worn down pit and then it's like um uh, one thing my, my brother noticed when we watched the episode with Timothy Oliphant was Timothy Oliphant's speeder was like an old pod racing engine. Yeah, half a pod racer, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, great. yeah, that had been, like, had been retrofitted. And even uh, introducing the Mandalorian where we first see him with his father and with his mother as well, um, when his, his family are, are killed, they're killed by the battle droids right by from yeah. the prequels and then we we transfer from his life in the prequels when his family are murdered by battle droids to him being surrounded by stormtroopers and it feels like this is the same galaxy it doesn't feel like all oh, these two these things are at odds with each other 
um, I think the show does an amazing job of bringing those um, those things together in a convincing way, in a way that feels like, yeah, like this is this is Star Wars. It's both the old Star Wars and the newer Star Wars, and they sit comfortably together. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that so much of that comes down to both the writing and the passion behind it. Because you can talk, uh, you and I would have a long disagreeing conversation about how the new trilogy doesn't feel like star wars because mm-hmm. i i i think i think it's a good thing that we have a different view on that and anyone who's listening might be like oh awful commentary thinks that the new trilogy doesn't feel like star wars i do <laughs> dom doesn't that's fine discussion for another time um and i forgot what i was going to say because i got sidetracked by that what were you just saying i was saying Great. how the how the mandalorian integrates the the two universes together in a convincing way yeah yes that part of what you said i do completely agree with and uh, yes because i was going to say john favreau has come into this with a huge degree of passion and love for star wars and the same way that jj abrams did and didn't want to do for so long because he was afraid that he wouldn't do a good job because he loved it too much and eventually came back and blah 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 john favreau has done that and um, he's put a really, he's been really smart about it and not gone. So I'm just going to spooge all my dreams all over the screen. He's gone. I'm going to talk to the person who knows the most about Star Wars in the whole world, which is Dave Filoni, um, yeah. who's also been one of the best creators of Star Wars content since um, Star Wars began. Um, so so much can be said about the writing, uh, the storytelling of it, as, in that regard. And I think an awful lot of credit needs to go to the technology that exists these days too. Mm-hmm. If it's a if it's a matter of whether these visually feel like you're in Star Wars, it's because the technology is there to make it work. And you're right about why the prequels didn't really feel like that. It's because it was blue screen, green screen, CGI models, you know. And something I do like about the new they they returned back to the way of um, animatronics and practical effects for the new trilogy, and they do that a lot in in the Mandalorian too, which I think really does help it seems it seems odd um but i'd rather see aliens and robots that look like they're actually there <laughs> than even mm-hmm. as physical far as we've beings, come with technology yeah. physical beings yeah you can just tell as far as, as far mm-hmm. as we have come with cgi you can always point out what parts of a scene are cgi and what parts are practical but the with them um, i don't know how, how much you know about the the set the sort of um, massive light screens that they shoot on, but if anyone has a chance to look on the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's so fucking cool, and it looks absolutely incredible. And it's the future of a filmmaking. Green screen, blue screen. Hopefully, will be gone forever if this exists and is yeah. and is prevalent in in the industry. Um, but having the right people behind it, I think it's or immediately steps. Uh, you know, you, you step. I'm not trying to talk Star Wars right now. I just can't get my words out. I thought I was in the Mos Eisley Cantina. <laughs> we don't serve your kind here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I've just I've cut deep into Dom's droid history. Uh, <laughs> family ties. Um, yeah, so you start you start from an amazing place, great people behind it, getting the right minds and creative people there, and then you, you kind of it's harder to go wrong. In 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 that respect. Um, so I think yeah, great props go to. And if anyone has um, 
not yet. The whole the gallery series on Disney Plus is a great way of mm. finding out how they kind of brought all these people together and the kind of minds that were involved because it wasn't just one man's vision. This wasn't George Lucas going, "Hey, do you know that um, that trilogy I did in the seventies and eighties that was really popular? I want to do it again." And all the money people being like, "All right, George, fuck here, here's hundreds millions mm. of dollars," and no one is there to go. There was no one <laughs> shackling George Lucas at all to maybe tone it down or bring it back and mm. trade disputes. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> so yeah um, great props to the way this was done in the first place yeah definitely alright let's let's do it fathers and sons within within the Mandalorian so if we, we go through the I think it's a good idea to follow the arc of um, uh, baby Yoda the child Groku uh, and the Mandalorian himself um but when do you feel that the father and son bond first starts to develop? Because they encounter each other at the end of the first episode, where the Mandalorian, uh, the Mandalorian, of course, has been sent there to uh, to take him as a bounty for uh, Werner Herzog as the best Imperial officer in the history of absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, and in all, I think it's it's him and Peter Cushing for um, just in by somehow in uh, encompassing everything that the the empire should be uh in Werner Herzog's performance which is ridiculous because it's Werner Herzog I know but he's he just so nails great it. At that. he's just yeah yeah and um uh, yeah he's been Werner Herzog has tasked the Mandalorian with with capturing um with capturing baby Yoda that he doesn't know um and he he destroys well he kills IG11 the droid uh, in order to to save Baby Yoda, the first time he sees him, rather than than, than you know the Taika Waititi uh, droid. Yes, yes, indeed. And then we get with the second episode, he returns the bounty. But then, uh, no, sorry, the third episode, he returns the bounty. And the second one that we have the Jawa interlude, where we discover that Baby Yoda has those Force powers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the third episode, he returns the bounty and then regrets it instantly knows that he's he's he's, episode three is called the sin and he can feel it inside himself when he he does the deal um that although he has a code you know as a bounty hunter he has a code that he's crossed a line here and that his his professional code and his moral code are now at odds with one another yeah um and yeah but do you think do you the luke besson movie remember like no women no kids Good that's movie. what that's what turns him over the line. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. But where do you feel that the, the father and son relationship starts to build between between the Mandalorian and uh, and and Baby Yoda himself? I would call him Baby Yoda because he's colloquially known as yeah. in popular culture as Baby. No one's like, oh, I love Groku. I want a Groku action figure. Everyone's like, I want Baby Yoda. I don't right? know, there's, so, a, there's a woman in my office who loves the Mandalorian and all she wants is a Groku action figure. <laughs> oh, well, I, I take it back then. Maybe yeah, maybe I'm, I'm out of touch. But do you feel that when he goes to rescue Baby Yoda that that is the start of it? Or is that just him trying to make up for his own moral lapses? I think um, it's a yeah. I think it's a, where you you pointed out this episode's called the sin, and I think when he goes to rescue Baby Yoda, it's just to m- try and ease his conscience a bit. I don't feel like he has any love for the child at this point. It's just 
he regrets, like he said, he regrets what he does and he wants to rectify it. So I don't think any kind of father and son thing kind of starts there. No. Yeah, I think it really starts to kick in in episode four, which is the the sanctuary where yeah. they go to, they go to the forest uh the forest planet with um these people who are like fishing in pools it's kind of kind of weird but this is where <laughs> we first meet um Gina Carano and um it's the introduction of a recurring um storytelling motif within the Mandalorian series itself which is we're doing the A team uh we're doing <laughs> you know we're doing kung fu uh, we're doing yeah. this, you know, this this old school lone wolf and cub, which is something we'll come back and discuss in another episode for sure, because it's clearly a huge influence. Um, you know, the the uh, Incredible Hulk TV series, um, the wandering hero appears into the town, but the town is under threat, and the hero is the only one who can protect it. Yeah, from it's the man with uh, no name, Clint Eastwood. Spaghetti Western deal, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. And so we we go to this small village and they're being attacked by dog-faced raiders and the Mandalorian and Gina Carano are the only two that could possibly, you know, possibly protect protect these people and protect the village. But outside of that larger looming threat, the cool, monstrous ATST that appears and... Um, yeah really really looks spectacular in that episode it's a very character driven episode this one like do you remember watching it and how you how you felt about it i do yeah i don't and my feelings aren't all positive this episode for me was the start of a bit of a the slump the mid-season slump for the season one um first three episodes i was really engaged and i felt like then the middle three episodes were a bit i don't know filler um, a bit like side questy, and up at the end of Sanctuary, I well no during the episode of uh, episode four Sanctuary, I was thinking this is like an episode of, of Stargate SG One. Uh, it didn't it didn't feel super necessary to me until you start to get a bit more of the backstory of the Mandalorian, and that's I think that's that's the episode where he talks about him being a foundling and his family being killed and blah blah blah, and he gets quite close with um, a woman who lives in the, on this farm and maybe this is the beginning of the the sort of the bond between him and the child because he comes close to leaving the child there with these people to, and letting them raise him but matters are kind of taken out of his hands because a, a bounty hunter has tracked him there hasn't he because he's kind of because he's broken the bounty hunter code now bounty hunters are after him um like he's fair game um, so he can't leave the child there, but you do get a sense that he never doesn't. He's not really sure whether he should. Like it feels like a good place to leave him. These people seem like decent people, but maybe he doesn't want to get rid of him. Maybe he wants to keep him. But um, yeah, I I think this these three middle episodes, these episodes in the middle here, um, were. Okay, no, I feel like season one. Okay, let me just formulate I, I'm, my thoughts I'm going here. To, I'm going to summarize what you're what you're what you're saying for you. Um, okay, because I on. know what you're thinking. Okay, episodes four, five, and six are very much the we can't just pad we we have to pad because we can't jump straight to the end of this series, right? They have to they have to go on adventures together. It's the act two problem of. 
Act one, we set up the conflict. Act three, we resolve the conflict. So act two has to be the journey that mounts up to the conclusion. But these four, five, and six don't do a fantastic job of raising the stakes in the main story. Instead, it's how can we weave an act two rather than this is the clear path towards the conclusion of the series, right? These three episodes don't feel like we're building the story of the Mandalorian. They feel like, and then the Mandalorian rescues a town. And then the Mandalorian does a bounty hunting thing. And then the Mandalorian goes onto a prison ship and uh, with Bill Burr, right? It's yeah. like, it's not like uh, um, a raising of the stakes. It's not like, oh, now Darth Vader's after them and they've got to keep hopping from one place to the next, for example, right? I think out of these three episodes, so that's episode four, five, and six, so Sanctuary, um, The Gunslinger, and The Prisoner. I think episode four does the best job of feeling like it's within the events of season one. Because I think you could watch uh, episode five, where he goes back to Tatooine and does a bounty hunting thing and meets Ming-Na Wen, my favourite actress in, maybe in the world. And... <laughs> um, uh, episode six with with Bill Burr, you could just somebody could say, "Oh, is the Mandalorian any good? Like, show me an episode." You go, "Oh, I'll show you these ones," because you don't have to have seen episodes one, two, three, four. Really, you just have to know uh, BT Dubs as a Baby Yoda. But episode four, Sanctuary, does the best job, I think, because there's a bit at the end when uh, he he saves the village. And the uh, the widow, the you know, they've got a thing going on, okay. Like we we all know they're they're DTF when they get the chance, um, <laughs> but even with, he, with the helmet on, right? Like he's no one's fussy, no one's fussy here. No, you got to keep the helmet. Um, N- nothing but the helmet. Nothing. <laughs> but there's a bit at the end of that episode where she says, "You and your boy can stay here together." Yeah. Right. You can settle down into the village, and she refers to Baby Yoda as your boy. And this is the first time I think where the series forms that bond between them. Right. That says this is not just a burden for him anymore. This isn't just oh I fucked up and you know I want to go and save my pet. This is, you know, the actually caring for him and caring for each other and a sense of responsibility. Um, that goes beyond, oh, I I did a, a bad thing here. And I think that's why this episode is the best one of those three, those middle season, that mid-season slump, as you say. Um, uh, yeah, you're, you're I... probably right, because I did feel like after the first three episodes, this one did, did kind of take the wind out of me a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, I thought we were, I thought we were on this amazing adventure together and now we're just dicking around on a farm. Okay. Um, and yes. then so the next two kind of plateaued that for me um, until it comes back up at the end. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. This one does does a better job of being involved with the story because yeah, I think you're, you did summarize me very well um, in saying, I know you. I know you. You do. You yeah. do. Um, so because the the overarching story is what I found most interesting. So, and you're right. These three episodes kind of just took us away from the real crux of what is happening in the galaxy right now. And that's what I was more interested in. Mm. 
Yeah. Do you but, find yeah, it? Bel- Bill Burr. Do you find it? <laughs> do you, yeah, we'll we'll get back to Bill Burr at some point. But do you find it believable when the Mandalorian starts to take on this these the uh, these fatherly emotions? I guess when he starts to act more like a father, less like a a childminder, like Vin Diesel in The Babysitter, whatever it's called. <laughs> what was that what's, film what's, called? What's that movie called? Where The Pacifier? The Pacifier. Where Vin, yeah, the, that's uh, exactly the Vin right. Diesel has like a bandolier full of milk <laughs> bottles, and you're thinking, that's a bad idea, because that milk's, firstly, it's warm, right? It's it's going to be heated by the... By the, the heat that emanates of Vin, off of Vin Diesel's pecs. Off, off yeah. of Vin Diesel, yeah. So he's going to give it to this baby. This baby's going to be like, it's it's turned. It's turned, <laughs> Vin Diesel. You're a bad pacifier. Anyway, well, sorry. Anyway, topic. you did. Yes. That was an interesting seg- uh, um, right turn you took there, but... <laughs> good memory, but at least, you... for, for yeah, obscure you... Vin Diesel movies. <laughs> that I've never seen. But do you... Uh, uh, do, do I believe yeah, do you... that... Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I do, but I think it's because in the... Through what happens at the beginning, where he does realize that he's overstepped a mark here with giving the child over to um, to Werner Herzog, you do you do get a sense of um, of conflict within him that seems to come from a place of not just of um, that the 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 life that he has is kind of violent life, just working for whatever whatever job he's he's given, um, you know, cash in hand kind of jobs don't always sit well with him and he's got no great reason to uh to give a shit about what the empire are going to do to a kid really like he knows that this this um sort of mangled rotten version of the empire is around and they're probably doing nefarious shit so the fact that he's just stumbled into one I don't know, but there are red flags everywhere, I guess, with, with what, they're, what they're doing to with this kid seems a bit shady and how much they're willing to pay him for it. It's all a bit much. So, but, um, And then we get a bit of a sense of his own story. It did, it did seem to me that he's not at peace. Mm. Even bef- before the, the events of episode one, you feel like this is a something of a salve a, a balm to him, something that he can be attached to and have some connection with. You feel like he's lived a cold life, and he maybe craves for something, for something more. And um, you, I think you get a bit of a sense of that when he goes to see that Mandalorian enclave, where the the armorer is, and none of none of the other Mandalorians seem to really like him or mm-hmm. take him very seriously. So even amongst, because I guess because of the his his history they don't see him as a real mandalorian um so so at least in terms of from a story perspective i felt like he needed it he needed the child he needed something different yes yeah because he's a foundling he doesn't belong to a particular clan of mandalorians and that's when he eventually gets his sigil and uh, the mud horn the the which is the the yeah. monster that baby yoda helps him kill the giant rhino hairy rhino thing um and they become a clan of two i think they say yeah so this whole time he's um he's a warrior you know a lone warrior this this classic clint eastwood thing but with completely without connection you know he doesn't have the familial bond of a clan like um different mandalorian clans maybe like fett 
or Clan Ordo or, you know, these, these different, uh, Clan Vizsla and all of these different things. Now, when we see Bo-Katan uh, later in, in episode, uh, sorry, in, in season two, she's traveling with other Mandalorians and together they, they, you know, they have that brothers in, you know, a camaraderie um, and familial bond that he just doesn't have. He is completely on his own. I think one of the things that is really brilliant about the show is, and that isn't spoken about too much, is the direct the directing itself. And each director brings a, does a great job of using tricks where your two main characters who are sharing a father and son bond, and we need to see this bond grow, one of them is wearing a helmet so you can never see his face, and the other one's a fucking puppet. <laughs> yeah. And only one of them can talk and is a man of few words, right? It's not like we're watching Han Solo and Chewbacca, where Chewbacca can, you know, has the expressive actions of Peter Mayhew and Han Solo doesn't shut up, right? It's like you've got, really, you've got Boba Fett and, and Chewbacca and you can't understand one of them and the other one doesn't say anything through, you know, through the whole thing. I think one of the the great ways they overcome that is by introducing objects that the camera can look at and then cut to a character and look at longingly. And it's one of the secrets to the directing that I've noticed now that I've watched it a bunch of times, is uh, action, reaction from Baby Yoda, and reaction of zooming in on the Mandalorian's face mask to be like, oh, he's feeling emotional. You can't see it, but he's feeling emotional, right? And it either zooms in close to his face in like a whoa way, or he just stares looking at the same thing for about 30 seconds, and you know he's emotional because he hasn't looked away. And that's pretty much it. So an example is the little um, ball on top of his gear stick, essentially. You know, <laughs> I'm sure uh, that's what it does. He's, he's shifting gears. Uh, he's shifting third. gears. You know, yeah, yeah, or going into hyperspace or whatever. And you know, it's got a little screw-on ball at the top. And Baby Yoda wants to unscrew it and play with the ball. And um, he keeps like screwing it back on. But then it becomes an, an a recurring object of affection between them. So you don't need to see their face to understand the relationship that's going on between them because you've introduced this third object. And I think it might be at the end of episode three, actually, where they, they escape from uh, from Werner Herzog and um, the Mandalorian unscrews it and gives it to Baby Yoda and says, this is, you know, look, look after this kind of thing. Like, gives him a toy, something to, you know, we, we see that there is, um, yeah, this relationship between them. And it's really tough to build a father and son relationship between a man who has no face and a puppet. But by using these um, these extra, like a third, either a third person in their relationship to highlight their, their dynamic or a third object, um, it creates a relationship that you believe, even though you never get to see them look each other in the eye. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. It's pretty well done, I think. Yeah, that's... That's a great point. They, they must, yeah. I wonder if that's something that Favreau and the directors sit around and discussed, or whether he just goes, "Do what you need to do to show this stuff," because it, yeah. it it does use recurring, recurring directors, doesn't he? Especially in the in the first season where it's like three, Dave Filoni, Rick Fukuyi, was it? 
uh, Family Yiwa uh, and then Deborah Chow, yeah. and then you get the Bryce Dallas Howard episode, which is the Sanctuary, and yeah. then the original three recur um, before Taika Waititi directs the the finale. So I wonder if there was a quite a like in the, that gallery series on Disney Plus where they all sit round a table to discuss, obviously for the purposes of this show. But I wonder if that was there was that kind of discussion between all of them in the beginning, where they all go, let's all agree on ways we're going to do this, because it does seem to be. It does seem to repeat throughout the series, like you like you say, they they have a way of doing it, and it would feel very fractured if every director chose a different way of displaying that. But it seems like they did all agree on 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 something. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of having John Favreau in such an important role as kind of lead writer, and then his relationship with Dave Filoni. Kind of yeah, yeah, in crafting this crafting this situation, I think they do a, a really great job of it, and. Another example is um, in the the end of the season, of the first season. Um, they've they've returned back to their original planet, back to uh, to Werner Herzog, because uh, Werner Herzog's been hunting them the whole time, been sending bounty hunters after them. You know, he uh, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda escaped into the galaxy. They were on the run, but Werner Herzog is relentless, and we'll kind of get more more into that in in a minute. But at the end of the the final episode, um, the Mandalorian has uh, like a necklace with the Mandalorian sigil on it, like the big beast with the, the tusks. The one and, that we were going to uh, get a tattoo of at university, but never did. Yes, exactly that one. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And uh, he gives the necklace to Baby Yoda to be because uh, he thinks he's you know maybe he's not going to make it out of this you know, and he says um, you know give this to another Mandalorian. And they will know to take care of you like that. Um, but at the end, the baby Yoda has the necklace and puts it in his mouth because he's, you know, a big pervert. And <laughs> um, we have that moment where he says, oh, you, you keep it. You know, he says, he says it's with, about the necklace. You, you keep the necklace. Right. And it's that he's giving part of himself and his heritage to uh, to this child. And they are a clan together now. You know, yeah. and the child yeah. is a foundling just like he was mm. yeah yeah and it's it's really great how they've used those visual cues to to build that relationship because i remember years ago i was talking to someone about halo the the xbox game and they've for years they've said oh we're going to make an, a halo tv show or a halo movie and they've never done it but one of the people i i was speaking about it like 10 years ago said the reason they don't do it is because the reason that um sylvester stallone judge dread had been so poorly received it's because you can't do a movie where you never see the person express their emotions, right? Like, it, it can't be done. You need to see your protagonist to understand their feelings. And then Carl Urban came in with his Dread movie, where he, and that movie's fucking awesome. But Dread is a character who doesn't express many emotions other than anger. So then when you transition over to The Mandalorian... How do you build empathy between a puppet and a man that you can't see? And the directing plays a really yeah important role within that here, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's keep going with uh, with the first season, as it is. Um, were there any highlights for you with between um, Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian uh, in the rest of that first season? I don't remember, man. That's ages ago. Um, <laughs> highlights between the two. Um, 
No, I the don't Bill remember. Burr episode, I'm, I'm terrible. The Bill Burr episode. I could yeah. have done a lot more research, yeah. obviously. No. <laughs> the Bill Burr episode, we don't see much between them um, because most of the focus is is on the Mandalorian himself. Baby Yoda fights um, uh, fights that robot voiced by everyone's favorite TV travel man, Richard Iwadi. Yeah, he is my yeah. favorite TV travel man. He's a lot of. He's my favorite in a lot of categories, actually. Yeah, he's I do love him in a disproportionate amount. Yes, um, but yeah. we we get a great bit where where Bill Burr finds Baby Yoda, and is like, "Oh, I've never wanted a pet before, but now I'm looking at this, and I think I want this one as my pet." And the Mandalorian has been trying really hard to not um, start a fight between these people, but they just keep pushing him and pushing him. And you've got Clancy Brown as the giant. Yeah. devil guy and the the awesome Twi'lek uh, lady from Game of Thrones is, is Did there you as like well. Her? The Twi'leks in that episode just ruined the whole episode for me. I found them very irritating. It's the problem with Star Wars aliens, I think. Isn't uh, is the girl int- Twi'lek um, what's her name from Tonks from Harry Potter? I have no idea. <laughs> She's she's I, I've never I had I don't know she's uh she's in Game of Thrones she's like the wildling nanny for the Stark kids is she okay yeah I mean I I've, I've got I, no I'm idea I'm sure we're talking about like the same person but maybe who knows I don't I'm, know who Tonk is Natal Natalia Tina the English actress who is yeah she she was the the Twi'lek in the Prisoner and she plays Tonks. Uh, Nymphadora Tonks in Harry Potter. I was I was right. Okay. Not that anyone. Well, thank cares. God. <laughs> thank God for Nymphadora Tonks. I'll well, tell you she was much. fine as, in Harry Potter. Yeah, I didn't like her. I didn't like her much. And because uh, this, this episode six, the prisoner, I was really looking forward to because I knew Bill Burr was going to be in it, mm-hmm. and a Bill Burr is great in that episode. And Clancy Brown. Every time I see Clancy Brown, I'm like, ah, oh, cool. It's Clancy Brown. That's great. Clancy Brown. I love him. Yeah. And yeah, yeah then the Twi'lek characters just i think that that episode wouldn't have been such a low point in the series following on from the gunslinger which i also found the the main sub character the rookie bounty hunter guy i found him really annoying so there's two characters in a row uh, episodes in a row with characters that just completely ruined the whole episode for me i'm like could that been fixed with better casting or they're just written to be annoying i don't know but um, I'm kind but, of glad they but, occurred next to each other so that it could, it could be a kind of reverse arc, starting high, dropping, and then shooting back up for the end because the last two episodes I did did really enjoy. Yeah. But what about Baby Yoda in these episodes? I don't really remember. But then it's, in- it's, in- <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned about um, Bill Burr's character, Mayfeld, calling um, the child a pet. Because as as mm. we've been talking, I was think trying to remember when I really did feel like um, there were you could put a name onto onto how the Mandalorian feels about um, Baby Yoda, and I don't, f- I didn't really feel like there was um, on like the love spectrum. I felt like in the first half of the series, he is just like this is a helpless little creature that I need mm. to look and after. I'm, I'm his guardian. I'm yeah. its guardian. Yeah. And so it is kind of like just looking after a pet. So at what point, I'm trying to think, what point to me did that transcend just a sense of responsibility over a a more vulnerable creature? And when did it become this, this child is part of my family now? 
And did you did you settle on something? I suppose I think it is when the, well, the moment you mentioned about with the Mandalorian necklace. I mean, that's kind of the mm-hmm. perfect visual, as you as you've already pointed out, of where it hands over. So I think that that is the point where it 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 the stakes are, are increased even further again because now he's not just looking after a helpless little creature that can't look after itself. It's his family, and he's going to give his life to save it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely definitely true. And those relationships where the stakes are Baby Yoda, those episodes tend to be stronger than the ones where the stake is. But what about this town? Um, yeah. Because yeah. the problem with the episodes of like, what about this town or what about this prisoner? is the Mandalorian doesn't really care about them. What he cares about is Baby Yoda. So the episodes where he's forced to care about something else because, oh, we're only going to give you the armor if you help us fight this crate dragon. Um, it's like, okay, it's always it's a means to an end, right? And we yeah. feel within him it's a means to an end. But those episodes where it is like, um, my son is in danger now. Those are the ones where yeah, the show the show really does shine, I think. What did you think about the, the finale of season season one then? When uh, we get um, uh, Apollo Creed calls him up and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, is like, if you help me get rid of these Imperials, then I will remove the bounty on you and you and the child will be free from, from, you know, from the hunters. Um, but it's a trap. It's a trap. Of course, yeah. Of course, it is. Um, yeah, no, I yeah. The, yeah, the um, I found there were some real emotional moments in those last two episodes where Quill, the little Ugnaught voiced by Nick Nolte, um, and uh, he's reprogrammed the IG Eleven droid that um, the Mando killed at the beginning of the series, uh, voiced by Taika Waititi, to be kind of like a protector droid um, mm. for the, for the child, and Mando doesn't trust him doesn't trust that this that this clearly genius engineer inventor repair guy could do this and is very reluctant because to the child yeah, because droids yeah droids killed his family as we see that flashback from the prequels his family yeah. were, were, were murdered by the droids and um yeah he doesn't trust uh, throughout the whole series like with richard iowade as well he does not trust that droids uh they have no heart, they have no soul, they will only act on their programming, and their programming yeah. is rarely, uh, uh, well, it's normally malevolent, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah, it's got a real prejudice, because like I said, well, yeah, the, there was battle droids who killed his family, the things that are designed to kill, and IG-11 is an assassin droid, which is designed to kill, and it's going to end when they have to, they have to team up, don't they, the, to get their bounty in the first episode, which is turns out to be the child, and the droid is about to go ahead and complete their job, which is to kill it. Oh, it's got a different job, hasn't he? I think um, to kill the thing, and that's when Mandosh kills the droid instead. Um, but when uh, they give the child over to Quill, to, um, whilst sort of as to get him away and get him back to the ship, and he's being chased by scout troopers, mm. that was tense. I was like, come on, come on. And then when they kill him, that it hurt. I love yeah, that character. Yeah. I have yeah. spoken. Yeah. Is that what he says? Something like that. He's got a little catchphrase. Yeah, yeah, I have spoken. Yeah. I have spoken, yeah. yeah. I yeah. Don't try and use that on your girlfriend, by the way. Just for anyone listening. <laughs> it's not great 
it doesn't often work and it might get you in trouble um but to, yeah to have we, we i feel like we're kind of on that journey with um with the mandalorian in not trusting ig11 completely they kind of I think it's probably intentional that they try and keep that tension going of going maybe it's going to betray them maybe it's going to mm. kill instead of protect the child um and when they kind of find themselves in a position where they're they're going to uh they're on like a, a boat in a lava river trying to escape from that standoff they've had with Moff Gideon and all the Imperials. And at the end of this tunnel, there are tons of stormtroopers waiting for them and there's no way out. And IG-11 does a Dante's Peak, walks through the lava and a self-destruct and just blows all of the stormtroopers away. And even up till that point, I don't think the Mandalorian still even trusts it then. It's only once it sacrifices itself to save everybody that he's like, you know what? You're okay, IG-11. It, you, you've exploded now, but you know what? But you're okay. Because there, there's a moment just before where um, they manage to get out of that little cantina where they're pinned down by Moff Gideon because IG-11 shows up and starts gunning people down and sort of gets them out of there. Um, Car, uh, Car Weathers and Gina Carano get out, and but the Mando's been injured and he needs help so and ig11 goes to tend to him because it's been reprogrammed as this um i keep calling it the babysitter droid when i was watching it but um to be helpful a nurse droid. i guess a nurse droid yeah. is that what they call it yeah nurse droid so yeah. he wants to help um mend mando and he, wa- he wants to take his helmet off and that's actually yeah i suppose that moment where the mandalorian chooses to take his helmet off for the first time in the series, the first time we get to see Pedro Pascal's lovely mm. face, it's a. It left me questioning whether this that was the moment where he decides he's going to trust him or not, or whether that's the moment where he goes, ah, it's just a droid, like it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Richard Herring always says, "Is it cheating if you sleep with a sex robot?" <laughs> right. Is it if it's a robot? Does it count? Mm, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's a a nice. I think that maybe that is a nice moment where we get to see mando soften a little bit to this to this droid yeah and but, also um, i think if it wasn't for for the journey he's been on with baby yoda he would have died in that moment yeah because, because i just saved be, he would have, the moment before yeah 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 but he would have the character goes from being uncompromising at the beginning mm. to someone who was willing to do what it takes to protect the child as well yeah someone who's as committed to it as he is mm, and he's gone from being stuck very much to his own code this kind of you know religious dogma to as we see at the end of season two he's essentially overcome that completely by the end of season two his journey with baby yoda has transformed him from a man stuck to a particular set of rules that he has to live by to uh, someone who is more compassionate and uh, is willing to bend those rules. Yeah, you know, he has that whole conversation with Mayfeld in season two about how the two of them are not that dissimilar in that, uh, sure, they seem to have a code, but when it serves them, they they will bend it. Um, just like last week, if anyone can hear my dogs barking now, that's it's fine, don't worry. Someone's just come to the door <laughs> and they're defending, they're defending my honor and my my castle that's good yeah that's good hey everybody 
Dave from Awful Commentary here. We're going to leave it there for part one of our discussion on The Mandalorian, but please do come back next week where we'll be delving a bit more into season two. But until then, stay safe and have a Merry Christmas. Bye. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dave from Awful Commentary. We decided to... Fuck, no, no. Uh, but please do come back next week or where we'll be dropping part two. Uh, but please do come back for episode... Fuck, no. Hi, everybody. Dave from Awful Commentary here. Shit.